Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, which is tomorrow, we will be talking with Karen Frasca, one of our regular guests now, who has walked the path of the Celtic and Avalonian mysteries for more than two decades. In particular, we will be focusing on St. Patrick, his relationship to Eamon Macha, and St. Bridget as well. If there's time, we may share some of our personal connections and stories to Ireland. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our show. We're super excited to have you guys here. Um, We've got some really great shows coming up. We have Lama Kathy Wesley back by popular demand next week. We're going to be talking about the dual mind and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and what kind of practices we can do to, to benefit that. Um, and then at the end of the month, our, our good friend Jacqueline Delib will be back. We'll be talking about the importance of humor and spirituality. So that's going to be awesome. And I've always believed if you have lost your sense of humor, you cannot attain one with one with the divine being. So I think that the sense of humor is a very big part of spirituality. Uh, and then we've got great shows coming up in April. We've got shows on numerology, the Knights Templar. We've got a little bit of paranormal stuff. So all kinds of cool things. So get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, and while you're there, you can buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi if you can afford to and, and want to support our show. But the most important thing is please click subscribe and like to our episodes. That really does help us more than anything. So uh, we're great and grateful to have all you guys with us. And I don't want to take up too much time today because I know St. Patrick is one of my favorite subjects. Anything Celtic, my mother's side were the Celts. And I even wore my, my green kilt today in honor of the show. So I'm going to kick it back to Krista. So take it away, Krista. Thanks a lot, Michael. And, and welcome back, Karen. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. So we've had you on before. You talked about the divine um, archetypes, masculine, feminine archetypes of the Avalonian Pantalon, and then also Autumn Equinox Magic, for those of you that don't know her. So we're always happy to have you back. Thank you. I always enjoy spending time with you. So let's get started on this fascinating man and and some of the the things connected to him, St. Patrick. Uh, what would you like to begin with? Um, I think I would like to start with uh, Eamon Maka, which is the uh, place in Northern Ireland. It's in County Armagh, um, and that is where St. Patrick built his church. Um, it was actually an ancient sacred site of the Irish Celts. So uh, when he was, when St. Patrick was a slave, he was a slave for six years. He was actually uh, Welsh. And um, during his time in around 400 uh, AD, he was captured. There was a huge slave trade in Ireland at the time, um, and he was captured and enslaved for six years. Um, And he actually was a shepherd, um, 
a shepherd slave um, on Slamish Mountain, which is very near uh, Amen Maka. So he would have been very much aware of the sacredness of the land and the site there. Um, it was the ancient seat of the high kings of Ulster and the Knights of the Red Branch. Um, so that's one of the more uh, prominent locations in the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology. Um, there's four great cycles in, in Irish mythology, and, and that is one of them, um, the Ulster cycle. And the most famous story is the cattle raid of Cooley. That might be familiar to um, some listeners. Um, but they actually, in the area last year, they discovered um, quite a bit of archaeological evidence that showed uh, like a vast temple complex that dates back to the Iron Age there, um, as well as looks like residences from the medieval era. So they're beginning um, deeper research and excavations um, into those. But it was it was a very, very important site to the ancient Irish Celts. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because in the Republic of Ireland, uh, Ushna and Newgrange and the Boyne River Valley get most of the press in terms of these famous uh, Neolithic sites, ancient, you know, Iron Age sites. Um, but unfortunately, they don't get as much attention. Um, Eamon Maka doesn't get anywhere near the attention as those sites do. Um, so, you know, I would like to shine a light on it there. Um, it is of, of great importance. Um, I actually have a friend who lives very near um, Eamon Maka, and he, he happens to be a wonderful photographer, and he goes up there quite a bit and takes pictures. Um, but he's started a Facebook group with some others uh, because recently there were some trees that were cut down. Um, and the trees in that, they're very sacred in the area, obviously, and trees are always sacred to the Celts um, and continue to be. And, I, you know, it's not entirely clear what happened. It looks like there was some. Um, sickness in the trees and they had to take, but there was no ceremony. There was no announcement, no nothing. They just took them down. So um, it was that, that, that sort of galvanized um, my friend and, and a group of people there to start a Facebook community uh, to, to build awareness of Amen Maka and, and its importance as well as um, potentially finding some ways, you know, how can those trees be replanted and, you know, how can people contribute to um, the sustainability of the site. So if people are interested, um, the, it's called the Amen Maka community on Facebook. And um, my friend, the photographer, he has his own page. If you enjoy Irish mythology, symbolism, imagery, um, his photos are just really beautiful. Um, and his page is Daniel Fagan Photography on Facebook, um, which I can, I can give you the links sure. to those. So what um, what so does anyway, that name that name mean? Do you do you have a, a the background of the name? Yeah, so it actually means um, the height of Maka. So it's sort of uh, on a hill above um, the area that, you know that sort of overlooks the area. And uh, Maka is uh, ancient sovereignty goddess of the the Irish Celts. Um, she is actually one aspect of the triple goddess known as the Morrigan. Um, and so her, she was sort of the more fierce aspect, I would say. Her symbol is the raven. Um, so that was an area where she was, um, where she was 
certainly worshipped, and there's there's a story about her um, as part of the Ulster cycle um, that I can tell you if you're interested. Yes, in I am very her. interested. <laughs> okay, so um, you know the the ancient Irish sovereignty goddesses were goddesses of the land, um, and so you know the kings when they um, ascended to their thrones, and 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 of course back then it was more like a chieftain. Um, of a tribe situation, but uh, in order for their rule to be sort of validated, um, they had to symbolically marry the goddess of the land and vow to protect the land um, and its people. And so this story is about how uh, one of the kings actually did not do that. Um, so, so Maka became the wife of an Ulster farmer and um, who, who was a widower. And sometime after his wife died, Maka appeared at his farm. And after circling his house three times, she entered, began taking care of the place and acting of his, as his wife without saying a word. Um, soon she became pregnant. Um, and as long as they were together, the, they continued to be prosperous. Um, the wealth grew and um, they were doing quite well for themselves. Uh, but he was called to attend a big festival that was organized by the King of Ulster at the time. And before he left, Maka warned him not to speak of her at all, um, say nothing about her to anyone, and he promised to do so. However, there was a big chariot race and, you know, everyone was bragging about whose horses were better and who was going to win. And he said that his wife could outrun any one of the horses, even the kings. And so the king, of course, being the king, said, prove it. My horses are better than everyone else's and I'm sure that your wife could never outrun them. Um, and he actually held the farmer on pain of death until he could make good on his claim. So Maka, of course, as I mentioned, was heavily pregnant at the time, um, but she was brought by force to the gathering and the king forced her to race the horses. Of course, it was so traumatic that she went into labor at the finish line and um, had a very painful birth, giving, giving birth to twins. Um, and of course, being a goddess of the land, being a fierce goddess and an aspect of the Morrigan, she was enraged. And um, because she was so disrespected and humiliated, she cursed the men of Ulster to be overcome with weakness um, or sort of as, as weak as a woman in, in labor mm -hmm. um, at the time of their greatest need. So, and this weakness would last for five days and the curse would last for nine generations. Um, and thereafter, the place where she gave birth was called Aminmaka. Mm. Um, so, you know, the story really shows how, you know, you don't mess with the, the, the goddess of the land. <laughs> um, because, you know, if she is mistreated, and, and we can see this sort of in our own environmental, you know, crisis of the present day, if the land is mistreated, she is going to take her revenge um, and her vengeance. So. Um, it was, it was a very sort of powerful um, story about not disrespecting the land, but also um, about how the rule of a bad king can really lead to disaster, which, um, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> parallels in modern life. 
<laughs> for that story. Um, so, so it's a really powerful story. And, um, you know, I think her, her nature as that, you know, sovereign goddess in terms of, you know, there's nothing that you can do um, to disrespect me that you're not going to pay a price for, um, you know, take care of me and we're all good, but don't, don't, uh, don't disrespect me. I was reading just a little bit in this book by Miranda Green called Celtic Goddesses. It's something I bought uh -huh. years ago. And she, I wish I brought the exact quote now, because she said that women were not necessarily rulers, but um, sovereignty was seen as female. Yes. And that, that was really a powerful statement. I mean, I thought, oh, yeah. So it was, it was, you were already just by being female, you, you were yeah. sovereign. And um, so I really, I really liked that. I, like I said, she had, it was a really nice quote, but kind of getting back to St. Patrick. So it was, yes. was during that time, would that site have been seen as sacred and would he Absolutely. have known all about it and, and want to be connected to it for some reason? He would have, for sure. I think because um, that is a place where the people went to worship, especially given this recent evidence that's come out of, you know, this major temple structure, people clearly were there, um, you know, celebrating all manner of things. It was a sacred site to the people there. So I, I have the sense that he would have been, you know, in his time as the slave um, shepherd on Slamish Mountain, he would have seen um, you know, how the people were, um, interacting with that site, how people lived. Um, and he probably would have thought, Hmm, that's probably a great place for me to go and start spreading the word of, you know, the new religion, the new Christianity, um, because the faithful, uh, even though they're faithful to the old ways are already coming to this place. So he actually, um, returned to Ireland. Uh, once he was sort of released as a slave, he returned to Ireland around 433 AD. Um, and he negotiated with the King of Ulster at the time, who was called Dara, um, and asked if he could build his church at Eamon Maka. But he was actually denied. The king wouldn't allow it. So he ended up um, building it in nearby Ardmacha, which is now called Armagh. Um, which is, and it's also known as the ecclesiastical capital of Ireland now. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So, and there's actually, there's not only one, but two um, St. Patrick's cathedrals in Armagh. One is uh, Catholic and one is um, Anglican or Protestant. And um, the St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City is actually built. Um, it looks very similar to uh, the Catholic St. Patrick's in Armagh with the sort of Gothic revival style and the spires. Um, so you have to wonder if, uh, if that was influenced by the original back in the old country. Well, I do remember um, from Jim's show, he was saying how Patrick kind of mixed it up with the Druids and Kings. Like his way was to try to work with them and not yeah. to, um, you know, push his agenda on. Like he was more of a smooth talker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that's what the impression that he had gotten, you know, that he thought that worked bribery worked and, you yeah, know, it certainly yeah. could see that. <laughs> I think that I, I get that sense of him. I, I feel like he was, um, and I have no evidence of this, but my own sort of intuition and what I've read about him, but I feel like he was, uh, 
he would have been quite a diplomat um, and really able to sort of bridge um, the differences between the the old pagan ways and the new and the new Christian ways um, and sort of help people see the connections between between them because really when you look at when you look at Ireland and and the sort of the specific um, sort of flavor of Christianity in Ireland if, if, if you want to put it that way um, it really is more sort of tied back into the old ways than you would think at first glance and you know the elements are important and when you read some of the old um, you know, some people say, well, it was the, it was the Christian monks who wrote down the old, old pagan ways. So we know they were true. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like he would have been somebody who saw the parallels and was able to bring in, um, or make, make the new ways more, uh, easily sort of digested by, um, the people because he'd be able to, after spending so much time in Ireland and watching and learning, he would be able to sort of make it easier for people to understand the new ways by drawing these parallels back to what, how they were already worshiping and what their spirituality already was. Um, and that continues to this day. You know, Celtic Christianity is, is really beautiful, and I feel like it's, it's one of the only um, examples that I see of, of these two sort of ways blending in a, in a really um, mm. symbiotic kind of a way. Um, so in, in, in how, in other ways does it blend? That's interesting observation. So I'm not really familiar with um, Celtic Christianity versus Christianity and just maybe, you know, St. Patrick or Bridget maybe would come to mind too, but how do you feel they, they today's modern um, take would be that they it still blends both. Well, I feel like so one there's a story about Saint Patrick, um, and I think that Jim mentioned this in his episode last year too, which is about you know there's there's this story that really dates only back to sort of the I think the 17th century about how uh, Saint Patrick taught the people the Trinity by using a, a shamrock, a three leaf clover to for the you know the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. But actually, the number three was so significant to the Celts already. Um, that story that I told about Maka and, and circling the farmer's house three times. There, there were triple goddesses. The Morrigan had three aspects. Um, you know, three was a very important number to them. And so this wouldn't have been anything, this wouldn't have been a concept that they would have had a hard time understanding. You know, when you think of... Um, so when you when you look at that, it's it's almost like Patrick St. Patrick knew that. And if the story has any truth to it, he was already building on what the people already knew and understood. So that's kind of a way when you see a triple goddess and you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's kind of there's parallels there. Um, an embodiment of this is really Bridget. So Bridget wasn't was a goddess of the Celts, but also St. Bridget. Um, and while these aren't necessarily the same person or being, um, they both have a lot. They were both very well known for working miracles, um, whether in her goddess form or in her saint form. Um, so, you know, she's, she was, she was so beloved by the people, um, 
that there was no way they were going to let her go. And so they found a way to sort of bring her, which I know that's happened in other, other like the Roman Catholicism too, mm-hmm. where some of the old gods end up getting incorporated into sainthood. Um, but she's a really, she's a really good example of that. Um, and when you look at her, you know, there's actually evidence that they knew each other, St. Bridget and St. Patrick. Um, it's, it's said that he actually baptized her mother, um, and she became known as, um, sort of the feminine counterpart to St. Patrick. They were apparently great friends. Um, she was said also to be a midwife to mother Mary, um, and a foster mother to Jesus Christ himself. Um, and she became known as Mary of the Gales. So, you know, she's, she's sort of in this one aspect, she's, she's Christ, she's a Christian saint. Um, but then when you look back at her, um, you know, her, her being as a goddess, her aspect as a goddess, there, there are a lot of parallels there as well. Um, so was there potentially then a historic figure that was St. Bridget or, yes, and living at the time, around the time of, of Patrick, St. Patrick? Yes. Yeah. So they, they did know each other. Um, and they, they were apparently good friends. Um, when she, so St. Bridget, she founded a monastery down in, um, in Kildare. So now we're moving down into the Southern part of the Republic of what's now the Republic of Ireland. Um, and Kildare is actually the original, um, Irish name is Kildara, which means church of the Oak. And that is a place where there, um, was an oak that was sacred to the Druids and that's where she chose to build her monastery. Um, there in, in that, in that area also was a pagan shrine to goddess Bridget. So, you know, there's, it's, it's blurry in terms of, um, myth and legend and, and fact, but she was an actual person. She was, she became the first abbess of the first, uh, convent in Ireland, which was there at Kildare. Um, and that became a center for art, for Smith work and learning, which are also, um, you know, these are things that goddess Bridget represents, um, Smith work, divine inspiration, um, in Irish, it's, it's called imbus and it's this sort of creative impulse, um, that creative fire, uh, that sort of comes down from, from above. Um, and we know that, you know, and the Celtic people continue to be, you know, extraordinarily creative, um, with the Smith work and metal work with, poetry, storytelling, all of these things um, that, you know, people would have learned uh, at the convent um, through their programs, but these are also things that um, they would look to Goddess Bridget for inspiration um, and guidance on as well. It's it's so fascinating to me that um, when I was doing this research, I, I think I didn't know about the um, Kildare uh, Church of Kildare, and I was telling you earlier that as a as a young girl, I lived in Leeslip County, Kildare, and uh, unfortunately, I, I don't remember going to visit uh, that church. And I wish you know now I, I I would like to go and visit and and then the whole idea that what it meant the word the oak in it because uh, that's my tree that I was connected to because of my birth, and you just start to wonder about these little 
seeds that happen in your childhood and and how and and I write poetry and I loved Yeats when I was growing up but we weren't you know really raised with even though I have Irish we weren't really raised as you know Irish Americans or anything and um and I think the one other thing I wanted to share was this concept of the land uh when we lived there for two years there is something incredibly powerful about certain lands that I've lived in and Ireland definitely has that magical, um, evocative, even if you know nothing about its history. Uh, there are other places in the world like that too, that I visited in different ways, but I, I think that magic and that sense of, you, you just kind of get it by being there. And I think it starts to get you interested in it later on in life if you're not already uh, because it, it really played a huge role in my whole family. Just living there for two years made a, a big impression on us, I think. Yeah, yeah, it, it happens. And it's it's interesting, even if you don't realize what's going on at the time, there's a connection that you feel, um, you know, and it's, it is, you're right, it's through that, the very land. I When I went to Ireland a few years ago, I felt it everywhere I went. It was just, it was a very different energy um and an energy that i felt immediately connected with um and i don't know you know i have some irish blood i've got some welsh and british and you know when i've been to i have family in england and when i go there too i was saying to a friend last time i went i said every time i leave i feel like i left part of my soul there because it just it continues to call me back um and, and I do feel the same way about Ireland and there, whether that's like genetic memory, you know, you have this DNA and this, and this heritage and this blood in your veins. Um, and, you know, you sort of step on this land. The same thing happened to me actually in Italy where, I, and I wasn't expecting that. Um, I was excited to go, but sort of more as a tourist. And when I, when I got there and, you know, there were just certain places in Italy that absolutely you know, I still feel, feel called to those places too. So I, I hope that the, uh, I don't know how they would research that, but, um, it would be interesting to see this idea of genetic memory and this idea of, you know, just the sense of these places being a part of you too, whether, whether you've ever stepped foot there or not, um, when you're lucky enough to go and have that experience, there's really, there's nothing like it. Yeah, I, I think, I think it, there is something to genetic memory. And also I think the soul wants what it wants because I, I, I've had friends that have no connection to a particular culture and they're madly in love with it. Like they, yeah. they just have nothing in their bloodline, but you can see they just have completely immersed themselves. And, and I think that might be sort of more of a soul or reincarnation type memory too. And I think they're all legitimate ways of, of looking at it because uh, it's it's a very visceral and real experience for many people. You don't even have to be, you know, metaphysical to have these experiences at all, you know. It's very true. I um I'm actually really drawn to um the the Norse sort of the Scandinavia and the Nordic countries. Um and I have yet to visit, but I've always really been fascinated. I remember the first book of mythology I ever read was a book of Norse mythology. And I mean I was only, you know, eight or nine years old and I mean, it was just the best, you know, and I immediately understood what these beings were. It was just a funny, so to your, to your past life point, um, I actually did the, the ancestry DNA and I fully expected Viking blood and I have none, <laughs> but it must, so it must 
be a past life thing. Um, but yeah, very, very much drawn to that. Now, do you, um, getting back to St. Patrick, uh, do you find you celebrate it or acknowledge it in any way every year? Um, what, what do you do? If anything, I do. Yeah. I lived in the Boston area for a long time. And so, you know, out there you, it's everywhere. (laughs) It's a very big deal and it's crazy. Um, obviously the last couple of years or this, this year and last year, nothing's going on, but, um, yeah, I always like to acknowledge it. I mean, sometimes it's just, it's just baking a really nice Irish soda bread and, and enjoying that. Mm. Um, and acknowledging, you know, as you, as you enjoy it, sort of paying your respects to, um, the heritage. It's more about, it's not necessarily for me about St. Patrick per se. It's about, um, that part of my heritage and, and my spirituality and honoring that. Um, and it sort of varies every year depending on, um, what's happening, but, um, you know, I will often take time out to just immerse myself, you know, listen to Irish music and, mm-hmm. and really sort of get into the experience. Um, and it, I find that since, since, especially this year and last year, since I couldn't go, um, just being able to sort of recreate the experience for, for myself was very fulfilling and good for the soul. Yeah, I think tomorrow, I think I'm going to do something for the first time in a long time. And I, you know, I just started reading like some of the, you know, the reasons for different things like the the green, the wearing of the green, according to at least what I found was related to the Irish rebellion of 1798. And it's, it's an homage to that. So it's real Irish nationalism. Uh, That's, of course, their, their flag has green in it, too. And um, it, it is interesting when you start looking into the reasons for things or the holidays and celebrations. If you have a connection, it made me want to look even deeper into my, my interest in Ireland. And, and I mean, I don't have a huge family. Uh, I think I'm like 12% Irish. But it, it did play a role because my, my mother would sometimes talk about her grandmother. And all she'd ever say was, she'd tell these really scary ghost stories and that would scare all the kids. That's all I remember anyway, you know, it's like, yeah, that sounds like an Irish grandmother. No, I wish I knew what they were, you know, and here I am interested in the paranormal now. Yeah. That great grandmother's coming through strong. That's right. She said it worked. You know, so, and then, you know, there's, there's of course, um, Michael, who's, you know, got the Scottish background and he's from Nova Scotia and having lived in Nova Scotia, there's all that great Celtic music. And it's also an incredibly beautiful, evocative land where um, they still, spe- you know, speak the the Scottish Gael- Gaelic in little towns and fluently. And so you really can feel that same energy, even though it's it's sort of a different aspect, it's still the same, you know, kind of mother blood, I guess. Yeah. So uh, if once it kind of gets into your blood, I think you want you want to go back to it, even if you can only go back once or twice in your life. <laughs> so. It's very true. It's very true. And so, you know, we have to take those opportunities to, um, you know, have a little bit of it every day or as often as we we need to sort of fill that that part of our soul that's longing for for that experience. Um Somebody that I love to read, actually, when just going back to what you were talking about, about the parallels between sort of the old ways and the Christian ways and Celtic um, Christianity, 
John O'Donohue uh, was a beautiful poet and writer. Um, and he, I love reading his work um, because I feel he expresses that connection. So like the, the real reverence for nature and the land and the cycles of the seasons um, and just this deep soulfulness. Um, and he was a former, he was a former priest. Um, and so that both of these things inform his writing and it just, it just sends me every time I, anything that he, that he's written, I've devoured. And I just, I love his work. So if people are interested in, in sort of immersing themselves in that, in that feeling, in that sort of, it's a, it's a full sensory experience when you read his, his stuff. And that would be a great book, book or two to pick up tomorrow. Mm, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, he's amazing. So going back a little to Bridget, um, so what is what are the two Bridgets known for that are similar? Do you do you have some examples as far as what specifically they they both represent? Yeah, so um, there's it's interesting because so Saint Bridget was known for her miracles and her um, charitable works. Um, and just the generosity and abundance that she, you know, she was always contributing to um, the community and to, you know, the greater world at large. Um, and, and so the goddess Bridget is said to be the daughter of the Morrigan, who we mentioned before, um, and also um, the Dagda, who was sort of the great god, um, the good god of Ireland. All of them are part of the ancient race of gods, the Tua de Danon, who, um, you know, were really like the founding race of Ireland, I suppose you could say, um, or the founding gods. And um, the Dagda is known for his abundance um, and in sort of being that, that provider, which I think Bridget as goddess really um, embodies. And also the fierceness of her mother, the Morrigan, it's, it's tempered by, <laughs> tempered by the Dagda. Um, but she, you know, this sort of knowing who she is and what she's about, um, St. Bridget as the human woman, um, and also the goddess Bridget, and, and the, the fierceness sort of comes from, you know, being very grounded in um, her purpose which was to serve and to help, you know, she was a goddess of healing. Um, she's a fire goddess, but also a water goddess. So there's wells all over Ireland that are dedicated to Bridget, goddess Bridget and St. Bridget. Um, and so the, the people will go there for um, the healing waters or to say a prayer for healing. Um, so those are some other parallels between, between the two sort of aspects of her. Now, my understanding, too, is um, they're both also associated a bit with prophecy, which I didn't know until recently. I always associate the Morgan uh, in the the Irish um, pantheon as the one associated with, with prophecy. Yeah. So that kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah. And I feel, I feel with Bridget, um, she absolutely is someone, you know, when I'm doing any kind of work where I really need to tap into my intuition. Um, you know, and sort of, for me with Bridget, it's more about um, envisioning what can be um, in, in, in that way. So sort of getting a vision of, if I've got it, 
particularly a creative project because I, I often call on her for help um, when I'm embarking on a new, a new creative project of some kind. Um, and I do feel that she has that ability to kind of show you how this can play out, what the end result can be. Um, it's up to you to, to do it. And that's where that idea of imbus also comes in, which is the Irish word for divine inspiration. Um, she's a real channel for that. And she can help you open yourself up to, to that inspiration as well. There's a lot of images of, of Bridget with sort of fire coming out of her, her head. Um, and that to me is that, that divine creative fire. I, I think too that, um, of course, that means she's, as you said earlier, is associated with the poetry too. But what's interesting yeah. I notice is the more you kind of look at all the different goddesses within the same pantheon, a lot of times they have crossovers, you know, because the, the Morgan also has some poetry associated with it. Though my, mm -hmm. my initial impression, this is my only, and this could be completely wrong when I think about it, but for some reason when I first met the concept of the Morgan versus Bridget, I saw Bridget as kind of this gentle energy. And then the more you kind of look into it, you're like, well, that's not exactly true. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and, and I think that that has to do with um, the way a lot of the goddesses were sort of split off from themselves. For instance, if you study in um, Aphrodite has a warrior aspect that was sort of split away from her and they made, they took it because that was part of the, if you want to call it, I, I don't like that word patriarchy so much, but that idea that for whatever reason, certain aspects of the goddess were suppressed, though I've never seen any conclusive evidence that the goddess was fully suppressed. She's always been there. You yeah. know, maybe certain aspects of her were suppressed and or sort of divided in a sense. And so the more you kind of, you start to see, well, in a lot of ways, they have similarities too. And, and they are quite different to work with, I think, but th they often will have some common ground. For sure, for sure. And it's interesting too, to look at how many goddesses of love through, you know, across cultures are also goddesses of war. <laughs> I'm thinking of Freya, um, you know, in the Norse pantheon who, um, you know, is, is definitely a goddess of love but also very fierce and you know the head of the she's a warrior goddess and the the leader of the valkyries and you know she's she's in it so um it is a very interesting thing and i think you're right you know these aspects of the of the divine feminine got a bit narrower and narrower and narrower you know over time until you know aphrodite is just known as you know love and beauty for love and beauty um, her warrior aspect is is just not as familiar to, to people. So it's interesting to see that coming. That's one of the things that really appeals to me about the, the Celtic goddesses um, specifically is that they, they don't tend to get, um, there's a fierceness to all of them. You know, there aren't a lot of sort of, um, you know, they have, they can have their gentle aspects and they can have their, and their kind, but it's almost in this tough love sort of way, even, even when um, that kindness is showing itself, there's, there's a, there's a fierceness and it's not an aggression at all, but it's a, well, in some cases, <laughs> some cases I should say, but it's, it's really um, this sort of this strength and this groundedness and this, you know, back to what we were talking about with the goddess of the land, you do not mess with her. It's that sort of 
um, knowledge and full embodiment of their power, which is something that I think a lot of women, particularly, or people that identify as females struggle with um, in the modern day, you know, because of the last 2000 years of sort of these aspects of the divine feminine being sort of pushed to one side. Uh, you know, we, what did we have to sort of, as a role model, what did we have to look to? Um, which again, is that's why I really am attracted to the Celtic goddesses because they really show, uh, show you how to do that and show you how to step into your own power. Um, and that I think is something that we, we really need. And it's an authentic grounded power. It's not necessarily power over it's Mm -hmm. power with, um, which is a key point. I think that, you know, a lot of people like you were referring to the patriarchy, a lot of people, you know, say, well, that was, you know, the men were in power. Now the women need to be in power. And it's like, we need to meet in the middle, you know, we need to, we need to work together. The world needs both, you know, as above, so below the world needs both, but we also need to balance those masculine and feminine aspects within ourselves um, and really integrate those things. I feel like that's where a lot of the true power um, lies. And that's what I think these Celtic goddesses embody quite a lot that, you know, a lot of them have very, sort of masculine characteristics and, and very feminine characteristics at the same time. And they just own it. They own all of it. And that for me is very empowering. Well, it's interesting too, that, that, um, last year, um, Jim brought up the fact that Patrick, St. Patrick was really popular with women. And one reason was that by converting, it gave them some freedom and he could protect them from rape and yeah. it was, uh, in a way, you could sort of see that as, as rather feminist. And you think about the time where women didn't necessarily have a lot of choices that, you know, maybe being a nun was a good choice rather than having to raise babies forever or die in childbirth or live with some, you know, horrible, abusive husband. And I said, yeah. well, that's interesting. You could see St. Patrick maybe has a little bit of a protector of women. And I mean, I, it sort of resonated with me. I liked it. You know, I was like, huh, that, that makes sense according to the time. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that's absolutely, that is definitely a sense that I have of him as well. And, and for sure, for women to have another option, um, you know, must've been extraordinary for them at the time. And there's actually, there's a funny story about, about him and, you know, even his, even his friendship with Bridget, the woman who would become St. Bridget, um, that says a lot too, because, you know, when, when do we ever hear of, you know, at that time of, of, you know, a church leader, you know, being on equal ground with, with a woman, no matter how powerful she, she might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a really great story when she, when she was going to found the, the convent and become abbess when she was taking her final vows there's a story that St. Patrick is the one that um, was with her and he accidentally read um, the vows for the priest, <laughs> for a priest. And when someone called him out on it, he said, oh, it doesn't matter. She's destined for great things. <laughs> and I love that because not only does it show his sort of playfulness and he didn't take himself too terribly 
seriously, he understood also who he was, who he was dealing with, who he was working with. And he saw her goodness and how she could contribute um, to his overall cause, which was really spreading this new religion. Um, and she was right there with him and he honored her way of, of bringing it to the people as well. So I think I love that because it feels like he saw her as a contemporary and an equal rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, the subservient role, um, you know, which, which most women played at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it, it was just really, you know, he's, he's really a fascinating character in a lot of ways. I think I was thinking I, uh, this year I was going to read, there's only two known works of his and they're not very long and I I got it from my Kindle. So I'm going to, tomorrow I was going to read, um, I think it's his, his memoirs are called like the St. Patrick's memoirs, the confessions. And then there's the letter to the Caroticus or something, the, the soldiers. Right. I, for, I have it down. But anyway, it was all because of listening to the show last year. Yeah. I, I was like inspired. So maybe I'll do that. And really, and I, and I guess that, that you were saying that he didn't take himself seriously. That kind of comes across in his memoirs, his, his humility. And that's why they think it's lasted as long because he's, his writing is very simple and straightforward, and that seems yeah. to, you know, often last forever because people can relate to it or feel it's authentic, um, which which says a lot since he he wasn't popular for a couple hundred years, I guess. Right, right, so. and he, I think that that's a great, you know, there's just no, you don't get the sense that there's a lot of ego there. You know, he really believed in what he was teaching and what he was doing, and it it was, he was coming from a place that was in service to the divine. It wasn't about filling his own coffers or gaining power or making a name for himself or whatever. It was really, it was about the work. Um, And I think that's something that, you know, was sorely, you know, needed at the time. And that's part of his, his, and of course today, and that's part of why he endures is because he's relatable. People can sort of understand where he was coming from and you know he sets an example but it's also he feels like a real human being and not this sort of um i mean certainly there's the the mythologized version of him but um he still feels like a real a real person mm-hmm. um and reading his own words certainly um i haven't read all of it but i've read bits and pieces and it just feels like very conversational very down to earth just a regular guy <laughs> What's really fascinating too, it seems like that perhaps the worlds are going to start to integrate in a new way. The, you know, certainly the authentic Irish movement to educate people on the real mythologies and the real histories is becoming uh, larger, though I don't think it's as well known. And yet, you know, that someone like St. Patrick is still going to endure. And I'm wondering if, if there's going to be sort of a new sort of union of, of these different uh, spiritual groups and, and something else will emerge from it. I don't know what would emerge from it because, you know, how it is when you blend things like an alchemy and then something new comes out of it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, because I don't think it's going to, sw- I know some people want things to swing back. That's just not going to happen. We were we can't go back. You don't want to go completely backwards. Yeah. You know, yeah, to what, true. but, um, there's, you know, I, I, I try to follow and look for some of the, um, 
the deeper, you know, the real myths of the Irish and really it's it's difficult because because of the the language and having to learn to pronounce the the names I'm still really bad at, but I'm trying to learn just so I can read them. I'm like, okay, how do I pronounce that? <laughs> and and there, but there's even like little videos on that, how you pronounce the, these these deities' names, I'm like, yay, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank God for YouTube, right? <laughs> oh, well, it, it makes it, it's nice because, you know, the, the Irish name a lot of things in their mythology. They use the names a lot. It's not like they just mention the name once, but they've got all those names and it's a little intimidating to read the original stories. But if you kind of have at least a sense of how to pronounce it, I've, at least for me, it's easier. So. I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, you know, I remember when I first started getting into all of this and just thinking like, why is nothing pronounced the way that it's spelled? It just felt so, you know, just like an enormous hurdle to get over. And I, I, you know, I still look up, I'm certainly do not speak Irish. And I, one day that's a goal. I would love to, to be able to speak it. Um, but part of the challenge too, is all the different sort of dialects. So you've got, um, you know, they speak, one kind of Irish in the North, another one, you know, in the, in the West, another one in the South. So it's, I actually, in looking up the pronunciation, I remember, you know, a long time ago, looking up the pronunciation of Amen Maka and I, the, I clicked on three different links and each one pronounced it three different ways. And I said, okay, I'm going to do, I'm just going to do the best that I can here. Um, but yeah, it is challenging and it is, but it, it's a beautiful, the way that um, they use language, the way that the, the terms, um, like the translations into English are so beautiful. Like I know Maktira is the word for wolf, but it means son of the land. Oh, and there's wow. just, there's loads of um, particularly animals mm. um, that have these beautiful poetic names um in in English what is it I, I can't remember the Irish name but it's a ladybug and the Irish name for it means God's little cow you oh. know? And, it's, know and it's just it's beautiful it's so beautiful which is a motivation to want to learn you know more of the language because um you see that the language and the poetry runs so deep this is part of who, um, you know, it's not just part of the culture, but it's just part of, of who we are as, you know, people of Irish descent um, and, you know, the people who live there. So I, for one, am very happy to see, you know, there's a real, when, when the English went over and um, colonized, it was forbidden to speak they were forbidden to speak their own language. Mm -hmm. Now it's really having a resurgence and it's coming back, which I think is, wonderful. It's being taught in schools. And, you know, I think in terms of cultural identity, and, you know, this is obviously speaking as an American person, I'm not, I'm not an Irish person living in Ireland, but I think it must be a wonderful thing um, to sort of give you that deeper sense of cultural identity and, and pride. So it was actually required when I'd lived there. Now we were in a private school, and it was like in 1970 
that was required in the school I went to. And I wanted to learn Irish, but they'd already learned like it was like four or five years. So they made me sit in the class and I didn't understand any of it. I was so <laughs> bummed. And I, you know, I've gone a couple times to try and really learn it and take classes. And I just want to become more disciplined because I, I've always been interested since that time. And then I, I think that like people like Mary Jane Lamond singing in Irish um, brought it back even more to the public. How beautiful, even if you don't understand a word, I personally think it's a beautiful language yeah. and it just gets into your soul. And the other thing I remember is one of our friends who's a scholar and he's a Choctaw Indian. And he said that if you really want to understand a culture, it's the language. There's no really better way is through language. And I, it was, I thought, oh, that makes so much sense because of just what you said, you know, how, what they call the wolf. And, and, and I think that is another way at least to maybe, even if one doesn't become fluent, you know, just to engage with it as much as you can, you know, whatever right. level. Yeah, yeah. Because it will enrich, it'll enrich you. So that's what I've decided to. Whatever level I'm going to engage in, it doesn't matter if I can speak it or not. It'll enrich my understanding of all of Irish things. Absolutely, absolutely. And it helps you understand the, the worldview and, you know, all of that. So I couldn't agree more. So is there any sort of last thoughts you have about St. Patrick or... Um, Bridget or Emin, how do you pronounce it? Emin? Emin Maka. Maka, Emin Maka. Yeah. Uh, um, that you would like I, to leave us with? I would actually love to, um, I've had a copy of this prayer. It's a um, St. Bridget's Hearthkeeper prayer. And I think it's a really beautiful, um, it, it actually speaks to, there's a rhythm to these sorts of prayers um, that I find unique to um, Irish spirituality. And I, I think if anybody is familiar with, with that, they'll recognize it. Um, but also just in this time of, you know, we're approaching the spring equinox and, you know, in honor of the, the sort of Celtic Christianity, Irish Christianity, um, and, and that bridge to the old ways. I would love to read it out. Perfect. So again, this is the St. Bridget Hearthkeeper Prayer. Bridget of the mantle, encompass us. Lady of the lambs, protect us. Keeper of the hearth, kindle us. Beneath your mantle, gather us and restore us to memory. Mothers of our mother, foremothers strong, guide our hands in yours. Remind us how to kindle the hearth, to keep it bright, to preserve the flame. Your hands upon ours, our hands within yours, to kindle the light both day and night. The mantle of Bridget about us, the memory of Bridget within us, the protection of Bridget keeping us from harm, from ignorance, from heartlessness. This day and night, from dawn till dark, from dark till dawn. That was beautiful. I love that part about from heartlessness. Keep us from heartlessness. Me too. And I feel it's it's especially appropriate for these times that we're we find ourselves in. Um, a reminder to be kind and keep that that flame of kindness burning. Um, you know, to keep the light of of 
illumination and, and intellectual sort of understanding, um, but also, you know, using our, using our creative abilities and using that, that inspiration and that kindness for, for the good of all. I agree. Now, before we, we have still a few minutes, um, how can people reach you? What's the best way? Is it through Facebook or? Um, yes, uh, Facebook is the best way. Now, my, I'm, I am building a website and it should be ready within the next, I'm going to say month or so. Um, and I'll be offering more classes and things through um, also the mysteryschoolofthegoddess.net. Um, that's another way to find some of my work. Um, I do readings through there as well, um, Celtic Oracle readings. So um, if people are interested in that, Mother House of the Goddess, um, or sorry, mysteryschoolofthegoddess.net is, is a good way to find me for that. But you can look me up on Facebook and send me a message and I'll get back to you. And it, it's under your first name spelled K-A-R-E-N, correct? The Facebook? Correct. Yes. And, and Frasca, F-R-A-S-C-A for those of you listening. And then just a quick... A quick um, explanation of what is the mystery school of the goddess so um it's a wonderful online school where um, all different teachers from all different backgrounds offer online courses um you know there's there's courses in every flavor of spirituality that you can imagine um mostly goddess focused divine feminine focused um but there's just there's an amazing variety and some wonderful teachers on there that's great. Yeah, I think that it's not, um, I, I took a look at it, I think, when I first met Renee, and it, not a lot of people know about it. And there are a lot, I know it's growing too, but there's, and there's some courses that are free as yeah. well that, that people have. So it's a really, it, it's a great resource. And then, you know, you can contact that individual, individual, individual person if you like them. And for instance, you get readings with them. So it seems like a great idea. It is. It is. And uh, Kimberly Moore is the, the woman who runs it. And she's just, she's wonderful. She's talk about someone who lives to be of service. She's, she's an amazing priestess and just human in general. So I encourage you to visit, visit that site. Awesome. Well, I think that I'm, I'm very happy that you came on again to talk, continue our conversation about St. Patrick. And I will say that both you and our friend, Reverend Jim really inspired me to not and particularly you this time I really started thinking about my Irish past and I had a lot I have a lot of fond memories that that came back and and I I think that's sort of a tribute to your energy because of your love I know for the all of all things sort of not just Irish but sort of that whole area the 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 English and um Wales and and it's 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 a little contagious so it's, <laughs> <laughs> I really felt it this time and I I think it's uh it made me a little nostalgic to tell you the truth. I said, <laughs> Michael, I will have, we do plan on some, some point going over there in Scotland and Wales and, and doing a sort of tour at some point to ourselves when we have a chance. So. Oh, you'll love, you will love it. It's, uh, it's just the best. And I'm glad that it was infectious. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good thing to infect someone with. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, I, I noticed that about the, the, the guests. They really do. I find they really can inspire people into their topics, you know. So thank you again for coming on. We really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great St. Patrick's Day. Thank you so much. And I hope that you do, too. And uh, enjoy. Take care. It's you been a too. pleasure. And thanks everyone for listening and have a great St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. And I look forward to next time 
when we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. <laughs>